0: Hello, and welcome to Cordial with Brett Crosley and Tom Bennett, the podcast where we mix and contemplate cordial conversations about the world, the people in it, and their work. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Cordial podcast. Today, I am joined by Adam Bumpus. Adam is the co-founder and CEO of Red Group. He is also a senior lecturer at the University of Melbourne, and intriguingly, he is also a voiceover artist. So if you think he sounds familiar, it's probably because he is. Uh, He's done all sorts of ads and interesting voiceover jobs. Prior to his current work, Adam did his PhD at the University of Oxford, and he wrote his thesis on the subject of carbon credits and carbon finance. He looked at their role in community development and poverty alleviation in Latin America. Adam is clearly a very busy guy with a wide breadth in knowledge, skills, and interests. So I'm sure today's discussion is going to be really fun. Welcome to the podcast, Adam. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat.
1: Thanks, Brett. Yes, great to be here. Thanks
0: very much. Awesome. So to kick things off and get this show on the road, I'd like to have a quick bit of a dive into your pathway into energy uh, how it all started. Um, and maybe to start, you could give us a quick rundown of what Red Grid is and what inspired you to start it with your co-founders.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, thanks, Brett. So like, I guess starting this company goes all the way back to um, what I what I did when I was a kid and then and what I did as my undergrad. So I'll tell you a bit about Red Grid and then we can go kind of wind the clock back a bit. So yeah, um, started Red Grid, uh in 2018 and uh, the idea was to um, create a energy um, software company that's that's really looking at how energy as an ecosystem works and what I mean by that is understanding that we have this very complicated energy system that we sort of take for granted the entire time where it's come from what it's doing how it's transmitted for our electricity and how we use it at the end in our houses every day and so we're really interested in how do we create something that can enable the ecosystem of energy devices no matter what they are where they are um, to understand each other better and to understand each other better so that there could be a better uh, ecological economic and social outcome for how we use electricity and so I mean, I've spent 20 years working on climate change and, and carbon innovation. And for me, um, it's always been about how do we create new value? Uh, how do we understand who gets that value and how do we help people? And I mean that in the sort of broader sense, This, this the term like just people everywhere um, have access to the best possible kind of comfort and, um, and ability to fulfill what they want to as human beings. And so Regrid really was a kind of, A moment in time in my life where I was thinking about what I wanted to do and what I really wanted to have as impact in the world. Uh, And I just so happened to meet a bunch of people who are working on blockchain and Web3. And we decided talking about what we're going to do to create this company that could be basically a software layer that enables all these energy devices to understand and talk to each other. So we could start to realize some of the benefits that we're seeing from renewable energy coming onto the grid. All right, and so I guess that's the that's the that's the long that's the big kind of vision version. Yeah, um, that starts a bit back before that.
0: Okay, yeah, I feel like I'm standing at the top of Maslow's pyramid. You're making a company to help people self-actualize by doing the small things that nobody knows needs to be done. Um, it's yeah, it's funny you say it like that.
1: It's sort yeah. of um, we had this. Awful logline tagline. um mm. When we first were kind of iterating on what the <laughs> tagline should be, and it was like it was, it was like fostering the human elemental experience. <laughs> and we we looked back on it the other day. we like we all laughed because we're like, what on earth does that mean? But we were kind of we were in that kind of space, just like searching for yeah. why we're bothering doing this. Like you know, my co-founders, is four of us. You know, all of us. And it's not our first rodeo. We've been doing a lot of other things professionally. Uh, before we started Red Group, one of our one of our guys still hasn't finished his degree at Melbourne Uni. He's the one who's really young. So, yeah. um, but but all of us were trying to find real value in, in what we we're doing. So, mm. um, I think it is about you know, there's we take for granted that electricity just arrives, and I think we take for granted that actually this is a resource that we're using every second that it's running or working, and we've 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 got this awesome opportunity now that. We have so much solar and so much renewables coming onto the grid. Um, the challenge isn't generation, the challenge is integration. And that's why we feel there's such an important role for software to play in integrating these amazing resources, because if we don't integrate it, and I think this is the long and short of it, mm-hmm. so if we don't integrate renewables effectively and quickly um, and enable more people to benefit from those renewable resources, we are not going to hit our targets, anywhere near our targets for, for net zero that we need to achieve. Um, to stave off the worst parts of climate change and that's the driver you know that underpins all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know when you see newspaper clippings newspaper reports coming out you know a month ago in april 2021 of customers going to be charged by the networks to release solar into the grid yep. because there's too much solar in certain places, not enough in others that is precisely the problem that we need to solve. Mm -hmm. And we can solve that by creating local mutual credit economies that enable
0: people to use that solar in the very best way. Interesting. Okay. So maybe if you can maybe break it down a a level more, what you mean by integrate renewables? Do you mean integrate that into your life or integrate it into the grid? How how do you mean that? Because that sounds like quite an important part of the puzzle. Yeah, it's it's both
1: really. So okay. we see so what we're building is what something we call a software defined grid and and software defined networks are pretty well known and understood in telcos mm-hmm. um, in telecommunications companies and that basically is the ability for software to reroute packages of information at the right times and right places so you don't clog up mm-hmm. servers you don't clog up routes in the system somewhere else. And so it's basically creating lots of local mini economies of information. So we're doing the same thing for energy, lots of local mini economies of energy consumption, production and general and, um, uh, and storage. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I talk about integrating renewables, the challenge we have right now is there are 2.2 million homes with, with a power plant on their roof in Australia. Mm-hmm. And that home pumps electricity back into the grid when it's not being used by that resident. Yep. That's great, right? That means there's more renewable going to the grid. But the challenge is that the only way that person, that household interacts with the grid is through a retailer that they they have where they pay the electricity and the local poles and wires distributor. Mm -hmm. And that person has no idea what's going on next door to them. And that person doesn't have any idea what's going on next door to them in terms of how much energy is being used. And so the the way that we're doing this is we've got a bunch of siloed tiny houses trying to talk to the grid independently mm-hmm. and of course they're not talking to it they're just pumping like pumping kind of solar energy back into the grid and hoping um, for the best unintelligently mm. exactly hoping for the best and being only paid a third of what they would be what they have to pay to get that electricity sourced from the grid Okay, so yeah. it makes no sense, right? So what we need to be doing is consuming that locally, consuming that as much as possible locally, um, and helping form economies around that. So that's the kind of integration into the grid that's important. And you know, there's some great work happening at AEMO to sort of map this. Mm-hmm. Um, our chief operating officer at Red Grid also works at EMO at you know, a high level, and he's you know he's doing they're, they're, they're trying to map this, trying to make this work, and that's great. Um, that's the grid sort of level, and we've got to either we're gonna we're going to have to upgrade our grid with substantial billions of dollars in investment, mm-hmm. or we're going to have to use some software to manage the way the grid is working at a local level um, to enable that. Those, in, those massive physical infrastructure plays to not have to happen because they don't need to. That's the whole point. Um, mm-hmm. okay. So that's kind of integrating into the grid. And this does include, you know, large scale renewables, you know, big solar plants, big solar farms, big wind farms. They're all really good. But a lot of those are done, they're done really well as well. You know, there's big power purchase agreements that happen. They're well organized. They go into the grid. They know what's going to be the production. They know how it's going to be used. But these smaller, smaller um, resources, residential resources, small commercial resources, I mean, resources in like solar panels on someone's roof mm-hmm. or on a roof of a factory, they're not so well organized. And so it's more about small deals that people are doing with either a retailer or um, or other power users. And so the key bit here is that those things just have to have a common language to understand each other so we can start to balance them in a more effective way. Now that's the, that's the connection to the grid. Yep. But I think one of the biggest things here is that to be honest, most people do not care about electricity. They don't care what it, they don't care about actually having electricity. They care about the fact that when I switch my lights on, the lights work. When you want to use a dishwasher, the dishwasher works. When the TV wants to go, when you want to watch the game. Like it's all it's gotta be, it's utility of what that is. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, I think we've come to a realization for most people that they actually do care about this thing that's happening called climate change. They do care about like whether where where their contribution to this, however small that might be. And so I think for a for an individual, for a human being uh who, who's, you know, trying to do the best for their kids and trying to do the best themselves, um, if there's an easy way for them to use electricity in a better way, that's that's and from greener, sort of cleaner sources, that's a great thing. So there's ways you can do that. You can buy from a retailer that's fully carbon neutral. You can um, stick on solar panels in your roof. You can do a bunch of different things. But there's many different reasons why that doesn't work for lots of people. For maybe they don't own their homes so and they can't put solar on the roof. Maybe they're with a retailer that also provides them gas, and so they don't want to switch to the retailer. Which is all oh, fair, fair enough, legitimate reasons. So what we do is. We try and make the experience of understanding renewable energy and where the grid is at a much more seamless and understandable way for a consumer. So, for example, on our application, our mobile app, um, it shows you two things. You've got some smart plugs plugged into your walls. It shows you the cost of those appliances, so you can monitor your costs on them. Mm-hmm. Um, at the appliance levels, so heaters and air conditioning and
0: fridges. You know,
1: the fridges, exactly. The phantom power that you use every <laughs> night on your TV. and yeah. these, are, these are all small amounts, right? These are probably not going to break your bank balance. But the whole point is those small amounts add up every day. And if you add up all those small amounts from all those people, you actually get to a considerable amount of electricity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what we do is we give them some insights on you know, how much they're spending on it the day before, what it looks like for them. But we also tell you, no matter who or what retailer you're with, we tell you Based upon your postcode, what is the mix of green electricity happening that day? We give you two simple notifications. First thing in the morning, it says, hey, the greenest time, the cleanest time to use electricity today is between 10.30 and 2.30 in the afternoon. Switch on your dishwasher during this time. Switch on your washing between during this time. And you're going to use way less carbon than you would if you switch it on as normal at like 6 p.m. in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And then we give people a little message that says, hey, it's peak fossil fuels right now. If you can avoid using some electricity, super cool. Like, that's great. And we give people points for doing that. So it's just really simple trying to sort of like instilling people that there is this, this flow of electricity coming into your house changes over time. And there's easy ways to understand it and there's easy ways to adapt
0: your behavior to be a part of the solution. All right, I'm getting a better picture of what you do. Um, I'll just maybe throw an analogy at you that's kind of in my head as you describe all this. I feel like energy is invisible, uh, which we agree on, uh, but it's almost like our house is very leaky. Um, everything in our house is constantly leaking a bit of energy out uh, when, even when we're not using it or not looking. Um, and if we had a bunch of um, hoses around our house full of water that were leaking, we'd see you know puddles everywhere. Um, but we just don't see that with energy. And I guess what you're doing is helping us see the puddles. I love it. That's a great, that's
1: a great analogy. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. It's just trying to make it visible, trying to make it visible. It's mm-hmm. really nice. And um, I mean, some of the listeners may have seen the film 2040. Um, yeah. Big uh, that Dan Gamo did. Yeah, quite popular yeah. last year. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Really great film. Um, the, the group they filmed in Bangladesh is Solshare. That's one of our first partners that we did work with back in cool. 2018. They're actually our first project we did work with. Really fantastic guys running an amazing company, building mini grids in Bangladesh. And, um, and we did some work with Damon, but he's got an awesome stat in the film, which is um, the, the US wasted electricity in one year that would be enough to power the whole of the UK for seven years. And that just shows you the kind of scale of electricity wastage, and that can be, you know, leaving lights on overnight in office buildings. It can be leaving the air conditioning on when you're not at home. It's stuff like this so There's pretty simple stuff to solve, yeah, if you've got visibility.
0: Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. That's really fascinating. Yeah, very cool, so these, um, the other question I had was the these plugs you you mentioned that you, um, they they're the way that you monitor the energy. They're a plug that you plug your plug into. I'm not using a yeah. technical term here, but no, no. So
1: I mean, the things that we're um, that we're integrated with, like we don't sell we don't sell hardware. We're not a hardware company. We're just software, but we're integrated to a number of different players who do the hardware. Okay, um, you can go and buy a plug at Mirabella, or you can buy a plug at Kogan and plug it into the wall, and then you know get the Red Grid app, and we can help you optimize your energy. That's basically it's a nice and simple. I see. I um, see. And then we work with like air conditioning controllers and we work with some bigger, we're, we're doing all the, the software at the Monash Smart Mini Grid. Mm-hmm. And so um, to ledger and capture all of the information and put it onto not the blockchain, but a kind of post-blockchain solution. Um, and so we do large building management systems and lithium-ion batteries, slow flow batteries, generation assets, all that kind of stuff too. So from the very, the very small little atomic level, which is the plug in the house, we believe We kind of talk about it like bees sometimes, Mm -hmm. like the small little plug in the house with our software running is like a bee in a hive. It's got some good intelligence. It kind of understands a bit about what's going on around it, but it's not super, super smart. But if you put all those plugs together and all those bees in a hive and they've got the genes that enable them to act in a certain way to optimize where they're finding pollen a certain way and ultimately protect their hive as much as possible that's kind of like our system each one has its own limited intelligence but it can in it can listen and talk to all those other devices that are out there and make a collective decision and 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 act upon it and that's really really important in our system compared to very many others. It's that we we firmly see this from the atomic level up, mm. rather than hey, here's this massive management system you're going to slap down on top. <laughs> it's basically little plugs with a few rules that are on behalf of the individual and the community at the same
0: time. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Cool. Um, Marcus Aurelius um, said, "What's good for the bee is good for the hive." I think.
1: Uh, ah, yeah. very nice. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love that one. Yeah. So it started when you met some people uh, and mm. you all had the same values and you wanted to do something cool and good for the world. So that's that sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, and recently yeah. you raised some money, yeah. so it's actually getting some good momentum, right? You use quite an interesting platform um, to raise that yeah. equity. Yeah. Have you done that before or is that a new thing for you? Um, so, like we yeah, we raised our money in, in sort
1: of mid no late 2019. Yeah. Um, uh, so when we didn't raise we did, we raised enough for like we did the we used a, a crowdfunding platform yep. uh, called Virtual which was which was really good for us then and we see the community as as a core part of where we're going and we're actually we're actually doing another a, a late seed round at the moment as well for for Regrid and um, we have some other capital raising activities coming up as well uh, for our entities but the key bit about that we did with 2019 was that um, we were a really early startup we we didn't have great traction we had a great we had this same idea we're talking about right now we had a with some limited technology we've been through a really great accelerator so we had like kind of we had you know a couple of pilots under our belts but small things and we talked to vcs and at the time vcs like listen you guys are so early we're gonna have to take so much equity it's just not worth it for you so Mm -hmm. yeah come back when you've got a bit more traction that's totally legitimate vc response so we went, we, we sort of sat down and said, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? And I said, well, we're doing this. We're genuinely trying to build clean energy communities. And so why don't we just see who wants to support us? And so we put together the, the process. We worked with virtual. We, we did a lot of, you know, cut a video with Damon from from 2040. Um, and we put it out to people and said, you know, like, this is, what we're, this is what we want to do. This is what we're trying to do. Can you help us? And we were astounded that um, we, we closed out the entire round. So we... We couldn't have any more investors, which was an amazing. amazing yeah, problem good to problem. have. Yeah. yeah. And and people were came in from fifty bucks to hundred and fifty thousand bucks. Wow. And so we raised we didn't raise that much, we raised um under a million dollars. Mm-hmm. but um, but it is enough to keep us going. We're still going on that now to develop technology to get clients. And subsequently to that we confirmed um uh, Mervac Ventures is, so the Mervac Property yeah. Group they confirmed as an investor as well we're running pilots with them and um, yeah it was it was fantastic it was and it was cool because it gave us it really gave us validation that people wanted this Yeah, um, yep. and that's I don't know for me that was the that was the biggest thing. It was like, you know, it's great to be four guys sitting in a room trying to figure this out. <laughs> but if someone else says, hey, yeah, like I'd love that. And to be honest, I've just got off a phone call with our product product manager because we're launching to our investors as a closed group
0: first, mm-hmm. um, our products this week.
1: So it's a very exciting week. Yeah, okay, cool. Nice Glad to be part of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Okay, interesting. Uh, well, I guess, I mean, just the flip side of it, um, if you had a business that just started up, and you turned over you know just under a million in sales uh clearly you, you'd continue with the business i mean that's a phenomenal mm-hmm. thing for a new business to do so um it's obviously not quite the same but it's still you know a similar result uh and kind of voter it- confidence i suppose
1: yeah, voter confidence. It's, it's always the hardest thing in these things is to, uh, well, to raise money is the number one hard thing. Yeah. And then to to number two is get that product market fit and finding those customers is, is really, really hard as well. So we're still on that journey. Um, we have found some good clients. We, we are making money. Like we, we do have revenue. Um, we are still, but we're still in that kind of classic startup phase. We are burning more because we've got to get develop, development done and, and sales out the door. So, um, But it is, you know, like... We're we're a small company with like a very, very big ambition. We've got to taper that down a bit and say, cool, what do we do this month? What do we do next month? What's the next quarter look like? That's how we're running at the
0: moment. Yeah, okay, good. All right, well, it's becoming quite a traditional business with a big new vision, I suppose.
1: Oh, That's right. Yeah. yeah. And we, I mean, look, we're currently in, a, in another accelerator called the YPO A plus accelerator. This is the young Presidents organization. It's an international accelerator. Okay. We, we, they don't take any equity, they don't charge us anything. And it is phenomenal. We're, we're in there with um, seven other companies globally. Um, and we've got access to these incredible entrepreneurs, people who've already built their businesses and kind of now want to give back. And they are, that'd be, this is an incredible asset to us. We are working a heavy workload and it's on for like five weeks, yeah. but it's working through all the fundamentals of the business. And what we're seeing is that all those things we talked about so long ago and that we wrote and that we, that we sold to our investors to come on board are absolutely true. And that's also validation that we're on the right path. We've just had to be flexible and move a little bit, but our philosophy and our approach has been has been right. And I'm very that's a really good validation not to say it's not stressful because it is but it's also really good
0: yeah excellent so the the role of um an accelerator in a new venture mm. um I, I feel like it's almost like a a, a secret um uh, that uh, there's so many people start businesses but how many actually participate in an accelerator i don't know mm. um mm how did you decide that you know an accelerator was something to do was it um you're obviously in the entrepreneurship space at the university um mm. and you you might have interacted with some but for an average person why why would an accelerator be someone you, you tap on the shoulder and ask for help from
1: yeah it's a really good question so um so yeah i mean i'm a, I'm a senior lecturer at melbourne uni in economics still at the moment and so um, i run a bunch of boot camps for other budding entrepreneurs not in energy but across the across the board yep. um, because I really accelerate it is a way to, to the, the, one of the big, biggest challenges and biggest things that's shifted from previous kind of ways of doing business to now is that with with technology and exponential change comes exponential risk in spending too much time trying to figure out the perfect solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. And so in previous years, people would say, hey, I've, I spent six months writing the 60-page business plan yeah. um, you know and now I'm going to sell it to the world and you know as a classic sort of previous IBM of, of the yesteryear you know you have a innovation room in a room in a literally in a room and they would come up with stuff and years later it would come out and they would try and sell it I think that what the cha- what the challenge is right now is that things are moving so quickly that unless you accelerate unless you get external help early on in the validation of your idea it's really hard to know what you're on to mm-hmm. so for us that's exactly how we started at redgrid we we um we had some ideas we met each other we tried to figure out like what could be interesting and we applied to accelerators so we applied to the Melbourne Uni PowerShop Accelerator, and we got into that. We didn't get in. We got in. It came in as a team, but then we formed, found other people who we worked with and come up with a kind of slightly adapted idea. Yep. And we were lucky we won that Accelerator. That was really cool. So that gave us you know, $5,000 and the ability to do a bit more. Then we went to another Accelerator. We got into the Arena Accelerator, okay. um, and that was super good. And then we got into the Startup Bootcamp Accelerator. So we went through three... The first one was kind of a more of a sort of general hackathon. It wasn't really about Red Grid. The next two were specifically about building the Red Group business, and the reason they were so important is you've got amazing people around you who get business model canvas, who understand the wider landscape that you're not even thinking about, yep. and you know, in the context of startup bootcamp, you've got energy experts in there as well questioning you and and access to you know large corporates who may or may not want to do a pilot with you. And so, I think it was. The accelerator is is part of the one of those things, and you have to, you know, sometimes you give away a bit of equity, sometimes you just give away your time. Um, it's always a it's always a, a way up, you know. You have to weigh it up in terms of what's the relative benefit for the company. But I have to say, and we we and we've also been approached by lots of accelerators to join them, and lots of them are really really good, but they're just not right for us at this point in time. Okay. So you always have to t- like you know balance it out and think, okay. What's going to be the strategic outcome for my company from this accelerator? Not necessarily if they're going to give you some capital, what is it going to be? The capital helps, but unless it's a seriously fair chunk of change, it's not going to make much of a difference. But if they've got the contacts and the connections, that means you can call them up two years after you're out. And that's exactly how it is for our accelerator. I call up the guys from Start Bootcamp and I get, I get a call with them Im- immediately and they help me immediately with amazing contacts. Right. Um, that's the value. Mm-hmm um i think it's for a young entrepreneur or or a group of people with a young company don't be young in age but in terms of a young company i um you may have a clear winner you may be just like hey this this is knocking out the park i've already got 17 clients and all paying me enough i don't even know need to go to an accelerator super cool awesome but if you don't have that and you're still trying to find a product market fit accelerator is a great way to
0: go interesting okay cool all right so i've learned a lot just then um, so hopefully, lots of people take up your advice. So if you want to dip um, your toes into it, do you just Google accelerators in your area. I suppose. Yeah, That'd look, it's really to good.
1: To, yeah, I mean, like, there's a whole bunch of them out there. It depends on what sec- So it depends on what sector you're in. So if you're in energy, there's lots. If you're in health, there's lots. If you're in fintech, there's lots. So think about what your business does. Is it in one of those kind of key sectors where accelerators work and it does tend to be like here's the problem accelerators does tend to be a bit software focused yeah tech um tech yeah so that's not always the case there's fashion accelerators um there's hardware accelerators so the best thing to do is universities often have them so if you're an alumni of a university check out that accelerators they might have there or the incubators or um like hackathon programs. Uh, Melbourne Uni has the Melbourne Accelerator program Mm -hmm. uh, that as an alum you can apply for. It's also got a bunch of pre-accelerators like Velocity, which is like you're not quite ready to go to the full accelerator, but you want to get shaped up a bit. Look for those different opportunities and start with a a low-cost version. What I mean by that is go to a weekend hackathon and take your ideas. And there's lots of open free hackathons that you can go to, often run by universities. Um, or by groups like climate kick does one as well for climate Kick, for climate work climate sort of um, solutions mm. and just try and go to a hackathon or go to a boot camp and it gets you to dip your toe in the water for understanding what it's like to be an entrepreneur because they're pretty intense they normally last a couple of days and you get in there you meet a bunch of new people you come in with maybe a you know kernel of an idea and you come out a day and a half two days later with a pitch that you could take to an investor mm. it's intense a big box. but of it particle. gives you that kind of yeah, it is, and <laughs> it becomes popcorn exactly, and hopefully, it's popcorn that you're yeah, going you can to set up. eat while watching an amazing movie. <laughs> you know, it's like that's the plan, and you never know, and that's where it starts. You just sort of take a take a leap um, and give it a go, and and so check the universities is a really good way. The cities, you know, city of Melbourne does this. A bunch of cities do it, um, mm-hmm. and just see. So figure out the sector, Google energy accelerators, Google you know health accelerators. Look for universities that are doing it and check out like councils and cities that are looking to do it
0: okay cool all right heaps of food for thought another pun okay um <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> moving right along i know we've got um limited time so um the next thing i'd like to ask you about is your career broadly so obviously red grid's your your latest big venture it's big and exciting and you know things are moving with it um were you one of those people you know straight out of high school you knew exactly what you're going to do and you just jumped on the bus and away you went or has it been a jagged um topsy-turvy experience for you
1: yeah um so I wasn't I was definitely not one of those people which came out of high school and was like I'm going to become a doctor yeah or I'm going to become a lawyer I didn't have one of those kind of like super clear career paths um but I did figure out when I was at high school like I loved being out in nature I loved you know I loved riding horses loved skiing I loved doing all that kind of like fun adventurous stuff yeah love playing rugby like all that kind of stuff there's being outside and getting a bit dirty Mm -hmm. i love that and i loved being um you know that kind of feeling of fresh air and all that kind of stuff. So it really kind of drove me to think about e- ecology and environmental stuff in general. Yep. And so when I finished my under- when I finished my high school, I was like, I just went straight to university into the degree in ecology because I was and I just thought ecology is cool. Like it's just all the way these bugs and stuff work together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how cool is that? And I ended up specialising in um, uh, evolutionary biology and animal behaviour, actually, um, including human evolution and behaviour, which was super fun. Yep. Um, I wrote my thesis on why do people dance at nightclubs, which was kind
0: of. No way. Why? What's the answer? Yeah. on.
1: Well, the answer I was doing a thesis based on how (laughs) guppies, the fish, move. And there's this interesting thing with guppies is (laughs) that the more the guppy does this little waggly dance thing to attract mates, um, but the male has this crest on its head. And if it's got this kind of like, more flamboyant crest; it doesn't have to dance as much, but yeah. these other males with less flamboyant crests can dance a bit more, and they can attract the same mates or attract more mates. Wow. So I did; I applied the guppy model to human beings, which is, I mean, this flawed in so many ways. Dance but flawed. It was really, in it was really interesting. <laughs> we basically took like, um and I had a bunch of research assistants with me. We basically went to the same campus nightclub the same like same night for weeks on end (laughs) and basically categorized how much people were dancing using certain movements per per minute and then we asked and then we categorized like we did a scale of how like objectively attractive these people could be seen to be by asking number of people that night and ranking them as terror and then asking random people which one they found more attractive and what was really interesting and then according to their dancing level Yep. And so what was really interesting we found with this is that um for guys it didn't make much of a difference like it was just <laughs> like and and people only found they found them attractive like whether it was a good looking dude they found him really attractive not such a good looking dude didn't find so attractive didn't really matter how much they were dancing um but for girls is really interesting and this is this is a study that was done 20 years ago right it's, it's it was an undergrad <laughs> thesis so i'm in no way saying this is true or not but for girls is really interesting like the 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 level five most attractive girls, like they person said, yeah, that's the most attractive person. But interesting, between three and four, is that females dancing at a level, uh, dancing at a um, more appropriate rate uh, than uh, and being an attractive level three can actually outcompete an attractive level four who's not dancing the appropriate rate. I see. So what I mean by that is that. You can, in this context, in this one thing in England in a nightclub over a number of weeks in a very small sample <laughs> size, there was the ability for people to use their dancing to outcompete a more good looking mate. Now, what was really interesting in this is, and you can probably tell, like, you know, I was I was I'm super geek at school, I'm a geek at university, but I loved loved doing all these kind of like looking at things in our normal life and try to figure them out from a scientific point of view yeah. what's really interesting is when you actually look at um how human beings evolved and what was important to them there's a lot of cues physical cues that are important for your genes um there's lots of social dynamics that are no way counted for here there's super social dynamics which would make this completely invalid but we did a um we did a survey with it, and it basically said that the last question of the survey, you know, there's lots of questions like, why do you go there to go to get drunk, to dance, or whatever it might be? The last question was, yeah, find a mate. The last yeah. question was, yeah, fine, last yeah. question was uh, <laughs> if you went to a club and you saw two people, they're exactly the same in every single way, shape, or form. Um, everything's the same, but one can dance and one can't dance. Which one do you find most attractive? And 97% of people said the one can dance. And we said, why afterwards? And we got a lot of different responses, but basically the response was, well, because they can they've got they can move, they've got rhythm, they're showing off that they've got some confidence, they've got this something else, there's some sort of thing that's happening in the background that makes them attractive. Hmm. So that was what I did at undergrad. Nothing to do with energy, but it has got to do with systems and the way systems work. That's I was right. just fascinated yeah. by it. Yeah. So um so I didn't ever know and therefore, like I, I came out of my undergrad, went to the ski season as a ski guide for a year and then sort of landed in London and didn't have any any money or i was in debt and i was like what am i going to do and i ended up selling ad space in in magazines for united nations climate change conferences so i was on the phone selling ad space to corporates which mm-hmm. was really interesting i got to learn why corporations think climate change is important why they don't this was 2002 so this is way before it was like a thing Main yeah Street. greta's yeah. not even a concept yet exactly exactly so um yeah not even a twinkle so uh it's exactly so it was kind of one of those things where it's like you know we're trying to get on board these big companies and then I ended up leading a bunch of delegations to UN meetings around the world um, with this company and it was really interesting because it was full-on for-profit sales company I learned how to sell which is really interesting I learned how to now I ran a bunch of these events and eventually ended up being a a consultant for the UN agency on climate change, so the climate change secretariat. Yep. Um, and I always wanted to write a master's. I read my master's at the same time as doing this on environmental politics. And so I was really interested in the, the, what was called political ecology, like yep. how we pull together um, the way the world works and making it more just and equitable. But I really was just... You know, I, it wasn't enough for me. I, I was fascinated. I wrote my undergrad, my master's thesis on carbon offsets. I think the, I thought the carbon offset market was really interesting mm-hmm. to provide finance into developing countries to help source new clean energy projects. So then I left and went and wrote my PhD uh, at Oxford on this. And that was because I found the right supervisor in the right place, and I wrote it on carbon offsets in two thousand and five when carbon offsets were just exploding into a thirty-six billion dollar a year market. Yeah, so it was really interesting time. Like. Great. And, and the two biggest companies in the world doing carbon offsets originated in Oxford at that time. So it was wow. a super
0: cool right place, right time. time. Yeah, yeah. On the note of political ecology, um, have you come across Wilfram Dressler? He's he teaches it yes. at Unimel. Very interesting character. Yeah, Wolf he's, Wolf is great. Yeah, he's similar to you. Uh, both outdoorsmen. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I found found his course very challenging. Yeah. Mm. Well, because his 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 you know and this whole political
1: ecology is is about challenging the way norms. we understand flows of systems and norms in the world mm. yeah exactly so and political ecology is a lot about how external factors then filter into a local factor and how those local factors are reworked and then continue to rework those external factors Yeah. and to be honest that is really what 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 is happening in electricity markets as well you know it's this whole bunch of meta factors happening yep but they're also affecting people. And people are now saying, hey, I don't want to be just the end product of this stuff. I want to contribute to it. So I want to have my own power. I want to have my own storage. And it's changing the way this works.
0: Yeah. Really interesting. Cool. Very interesting. So with the PhD, um, how did you find the supervisor? And, and what kind, What was that process like? I mean, that looks like quite a difficult thing to do. Yeah. So many people get dumped um, with a, a project and it, they don't go anywhere. So
1: yeah so i knew i wanted to do it i knew i wanted to leave i knew i knew more or less what i wanted to write it on i had some fantastic help from my undergraduate one of my undergraduate supervisors i did two kind of theses undergraduate i did the dancing one but i also did one on corporate social responsibility and environmental affairs yeah that supervisor helped me kind of construct it and then um and he's professor Tim ridden he was actually like the fourth of environmentalism in the uk so he's just this absolute legend of heavyweight who Heavyweight. He was the principal advisor to the UK government for the 2002 summit, World World Summit of Sustainable Development. And so I was actually met him in Johannesburg at the conference when I was doing my selling the magazines, <laughs> and we had dinner. And I was like, "This is awesome." Wild. So anyway, how do you find the person? You um, I had this idea, so I shipped it around and basically tried to find funding for it and mm-hmm. find supervisors. So I'd look for a supervisor who'd written on the similar stuff to me. I'd email them, "Hey, I want to do his PhD." Here's the key bit. Always email a specific supervisor yeah. in, in the email, Anyone anyone wants to do this, and write in two paragraphs why they are the right supervisor for you and why you want to study with them. I get so many emails. Dear sir, I want to be your PhD student. Please sign this form so I can get funding. And that's all it is. It just never works. So I went out to them. I specifically asked them. And I got um, places at University of Sussex and University of Oxford. Um, but I didn't get funding. And I applied to five different levels of five different groups of funding to try and get funding and you know first one came back no the second one came back third one came back this guy doesn't know what he's doing this is a ridiculous <laughs> proposal why on earth is he even considering this stupid carbon offset market blah 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 and eventually uh i got esrc esrc NERC funding which is basically the combination of natural sciences and, and human sciences put together in the uk and in, i got uk government funding for my full phd and so but it came in at the last minute it was like yeah, you know, it wasn't. It was by no means an easy feat. It was a lot of graft, a lot of heartache and graft to get through it. Yeah. And I was very lucky. I found uh, a supervisor who she was just phenomenal. She was the director of the environmental Change in the Institute at Oxford. Was fascinated about carbon offsets in Latin America, which I wrote written my master's thesis on. And she was just fantastic. So her name's Diana Liverman, and she. um She's now, maybe she's an extremely distinguished international professor. She's at University of Arizona now, but like just finding a right person and someone who believes in a kind of wild and crazy idea that you want to study, um, then you just give it everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so fascinating. I could see your, now that you've you know, discussed your life at a bit, bit more length, I can see how, you know, different parts of it are so pivotal selling you know, ad space. You, you learn the skills of selling and here you are shopping around a PhD. Um, yeah, you know. At the same True. time, you're building that network in the UN, and then oh, crazy how your yeah. life's panned out, mate. Um, well,
1: it, it is kind of funny that yeah. you start something like RedGrid, which is selling, and I have the highest and utmost respect for really good ethical salespeople. Yeah. It is a tough, tough, tough job, mm. and as an entrepreneur, you're both you're titrating between managing a complex, multi-dimensional puzzle. That's really hard like financially and and technically and you're trying to convince people at the same time they should get on board with you yeah. and so it's a real um it's
0: a real yeah it's a it's a crazy rubik's cube mm. it's a phd but just in a different order
1: yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is it is yeah and yeah yeah actually and it's yeah because you have to produce something at the end like you're doing your phd that's right you yeah. have to produce this thing and, and make
0: sure someone else reads it that's right and then to talk about it yeah yeah ah <sighs> that's it yeah okay um fascinating
1: yeah but it is about I mean I've always had side projects doing this stuff like it's and to my team you know it's very difficult you know I finished my master's and immediately took a contract with the UN so even though I was spending every weekend working my master's before that I didn't spend every weekend working on this contract for the UN because I had a full-time job as well so um that is something that needs to be you know you can't do that all the time and so Mm. um, try and like have to ease off the gas a bit sometimes that's pretty hard
0: yeah interesting Okay, um, it, it, I guess in academia, it's not, it's not super well discussed that um, most people have side gigs and they've got little ventures mm-hmm. and they're doing things that they're interested in. So it's interesting to, to see the two sides to it. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like you're primarily a, an entrepreneur and secondary. Mm-hmm. You pursue that interest in the institution, you know, the, the ivory mm-hmm. tower. I guess just to follow on from that, Um, You know, with COVID and this, you know, the funding, um, I guess, system shock that we're experiencing. Um, uh, I spoke to a professor earlier in the year, Brett Inder, about his, he was quite optimistic about the future of funding in Australia for, you know, research institutions, given the lack of, you know, student funding that's coming through. Mm -hmm. Um, How have you seen the ground change in terms of the linkage between research and um, academics uh, and industry Mm. so the pracademics is a term i heard last week are you seeing Mm. pracademics uh for lack of a better word are you seeing that become more common or um do you see something else happening where do you see it heading
1: yeah it's a really it's a really good question um and it's very complicated because in common in one sense and quite simple in another i think the complicated version is that um There's shifting priorities from a government perspective around the world on the role of academia Mm -hmm. and where academia sits in society, uh, as you know, and the role of academics. You know, I think that there's a complexity around that because you know where does you know where does esoteric sort of academic um, pursuit Mm -hmm. that that doesn't provide immediate value sit, Um, but at the same time. Where do we get those solutions for things in the future that we have never thought about, which only come from esoteric academic pursuit? Mm. So that's why the the only model that still exists in the world that really is um, the f- completely free academic, funnily enough, is the US when you have full tenure, yeah, um, and you you know you're not going you are you have your job forever. Mm-hmm. until you want to retire and that gives you freedom of, you know academic freedom to pursue those interesting questions um what's happened with recently with covid is that we've seen the um, fragility that sits in the system based upon student um money from students to pay for fees yep. you know and that's and fragility in the academic system and i think that's kind of opened up a I think it's actually opened up an opportunity, but it's opened up a real challenge for saying, okay, cool. So how do we as academics or as 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 the academy, which I firmly believe in and think is incredibly important for society at large, mm-hmm. um, how does that institution continue when we've become so heavily reliant on student fees to pay the way for most things in, in the academy? Now there's money coming from government. Yes, there's money coming from industry. Yes, that's good. Um, but it has been a pretty big hit, this COVID thing. So I think... The pra- linking that through to the pracademics comes down to a, a couple of things. Is, is One is a um, a, a, neg- a positive thing. Let's do the positive thing first, right? So yeah, yeah. the positive <laughs> thing about pracademics is that it's really important to have people who are doing something in this and also teaching it. Now, mm-hmm. that's interesting because research is doing as well. Like if you're doing really good research and you're linking that to your teaching, that's really important. That's why you go to university right. to get a degree led by academics who are, Really doing the thing that they understand the best in the world, and and imparting that information or helping train people to do to understand it really well. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the challenge is you end up kind of for a lot of the time in academic, you know, it, teaching stuff that is not your core expertise because you've just got to teach large numbers of students at undergrad. To get bums on seats and bring them in, that's and right, that's just yeah. the way the model works, you know. And that's that's fair enough. That's the way the model works. And if the students are getting a good education, they're happy with that, and the academics are kind of not spending all their time teaching those massive service courses, then that's okay as well. As the model, but it gets really interesting when those academics get to teach the thing they're passionate about, um, and that's really really cool because students get an insight like no one else. And that's why big research institution universities are important. Yeah. Um, but from a pro-academic point of view, like those people who are kind of working in real world, I think that's really important as well because increasingly students are saying, theory is awesome, but how am I going to survive when I get out of this degree with mm, pretty X much many thousand dollars of debt? Yeah, yeah, like when there's no jobs. When the jobs are, well, there are jobs, but there's fewer of them. Um, they are being more kind of funneled into certain ac- disciplines than others. So I think there's some really important things about pracademics academics who are people who are kind of bridging academia and industry or academia and government to then give just practical advice to students about where they can go in it. Um,
0: but I feel like it was super interesting. Um, there's definitely tides of change coming. So um, it would be interesting to see how the chancellors and things navigate it. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think that you raised an interesting point, you know, that researchers are now teaching and then uh, they're teaching subjects that um, you know, aren't exactly the leading edge anymore, mm. um, but they get bums on seats. So I think there's definitely that needs to be looked at, right? Mm. I feel like just because it gets bums on seat doesn't mean it's necessarily the best thing for everyone. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah. And there's and uh, everyone involved, everyone involved,
1: and like what do students need mm. from their education at that at that level? Um, yeah, I, in the context I, of AI, in the context of everything that's happening in the in
0: the economy. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I've done six years, five years. Um, of education, I, I, haven't actually been told like that. No, one's addressed AI. Mm. Um, nobody's addressed, um, you know, what, what, I can expect when I hit the workforce, mm. um, the, the only person who gave an accurate prediction of what it's like in the workforce was Ben Neville, mm. um yeah he he, he gave this story about you know one day we'll be in in the cbd looking at an excel spreadsheet um and every time i've sat in front of an excel spreadsheet working for a a company i've thought about it so (laughs) there's nothing been you know it kind of genuinely easily um i can grapple with and say that's where i learned it Mm. um yeah very very limited Mm. um so yeah Yeah, it's really tough it is really tough Mm. anyway Anyway, not to moan, mm. but uh. <laughs> it is. Yeah, no, but it's
1: true, and it's it's one of those things where these are inexorable changes in the economy, and I firmly believe. At them. like I, I kind of look at these things optimistically. I think it's actually an amazing opportunity to reinvigorate creative thinking and creative approaches to yep. problems, um, because mm-hmm. so much of the technical stuff that's being done um, by humans now will be done by by AI in the future. Um, you know, even just thinking through, you know, legal precedents and things like that, you know, like the fact that there's so much information that is digitized that you could have, you know, you can have um, the ability to source that information so much faster so people can make decisions in a legal context is is going to be phenomenal. That just gets, yeah. but that means that frees up people to think about other things they might like to do, creative things, creative pursuits that also have value. I mean, look at what's happening in NFTs, so non-fungible tokens crazy yeah, amounts of, art stuff. yeah crazy amounts of money now being generated just for the artist or a yeah. you know, small commission from a platform but it's like those kind of things we never have sort of seen that even three years ago that and it's because creativity is valued and i think that's that's like winston churchill said during the second world war he increased the funding to the arts and people had lost their minds why are you we're in the middle of the war why are increasing funding of the arts and he said because if we don't increase if we don't have the arts then what are we fighting for Mm. And I love that yeah. approach. That, that's great. Yeah, yeah, there is a there is a much more human and bigger thing that we need to do here than just crunch numbers, um, and that's the thing that actually drives us.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a fantastic note to leave it on. I think it's very hopeful, optimistic, and probably cuts through it all of why we do anything at all. Ah, thank you, Brett. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Adam. Um, I've learnt a lot, um, and I feel like there's a lot of really interesting tidbits that anyone can really have a listen and take anything that they're interested in and run with it. Um, so hopefully we get all sorts of cool things and people doing interesting things as a result. So um, so thank you again, and um, we'll be in touch. Pleasure. Thanks, Brett. Really, really enjoyed it. Excellent. Thanks, Adam.
2: All right, Tommy, what'd you reckon? Mate, loved it. I do have a couple of questions, though. Yeah, far uh, away. Just want to know, if you can explain a little bit about how they monetize and how they're able to make money. I just didn't quite understand where, where they get their revenue from. Um, yeah, that's a great question. So I think
0: he, he mentioned that he's got an app um, that kind of consumers, householders would, would download yeah, and yeah. link up to their smart box. Uh, but what, the way I understood is that they would apply this software to people who are generating electricity so think of it he used the example of Monash University they've got heaps of solar panels Um, they've got quite a sophisticated system albeit very small like they couldn't power you know an entire grid or community but they're powering their entire campus so I think what he's doing is he's applying the software to that level of application helping them work out what buildings what um, units in what buildings, are using what energy at what time, so that they can use their energy more efficiently and also um, figure out where the leaks are. Essentially, um, in their in their kind of they're generating all this energy, but how do you effectively use it and store it and make sure that it's used in the right place at the right time? So it's that that kind of element. He's helping uh, smaller scale energy producers. Energy producers to most effectively use that energy so i think that's where they're making money they'll he'll sell the software as a service in that application and then and i suppose his team would implement it monitor it and help help whoever the client is get the most out of it yeah okay um i will cover it there i've got no idea Uh, that's what I, i i imagined and how i understood it but um whether that's actually true i don't know
2: yeah, yeah. I, I, just listening to you guys have a chat. Great chat, mm. just well done, by the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was just a little bit confused, or oh, not maybe not on confused, the model, but just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yep. um, it seems like they they have a fair bit of backing behind them. But um, yeah, I was just curious as to how they they're making that revenue. So yeah, so they're 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 getting out
0: and into the market and applying the technology. And I guess as you apply, you start to to see. The value in it and then you can start selling it as a service or monetizing other in other ways that you didn't previously i guess consider
2: yeah for sure on the technology note uh mm. post blockchain technology i know I, mean, I know blockchain. a little bit about blockchain but
0: yeah. what are the uh <laughs> I, I probably don't know enough i don't know i mean do you put po- do you pop it in an post box
2: <laughs> that's that's uh it's like uh in Star Wars where it's uh a long time ago in a yeah. galaxy far, far away far, far with away. much more advanced technology. Mm, mm. I guess post-blockchain, yeah. maybe blockchain is
0: a, currently a currency. Uh maybe post-blockchain is the ledger systems where instead of uh have you heard of this like power, there's a, a certain coin. I'm not very big in the coins, mind you. I'm a bit of a layman here. Yeah, neither have I. There's some sort of coin that they're making specifically for energy. So an energy producer, by producing energy, earns the coin. So if you're a householder or a large corporate energy producer, you earn this coin by producing energy, and then you can buy back energy with that coin.
2: So it's a ledger system
0: of you can only draw out what you put in. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's a post-Bitcoin thing where it's just – um, a way to track
2: it's, who's doing what and when. Well, blockchain's not like just specifically for Bitcoin, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess there has to be a bunch of alternatives that do a similar sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. Anyways, I know it's a wild but I,
0: I need a I need a book recommendation. I'd love to read a book about it. So about block anybody blockchain. out there?
2: Yeah, yeah, I haven't read anything on. on uh, I haven't read any books recently. Anyway, so. <laughs> 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 Fair enough. Uh, what did you
0: think of it? Uh, yeah, I loved it. Obviously, Adam's super energetic, passionate, uh, and that really shines through, um, which is fantastic. So it's it's great that so many people are taught by Adam every year. And it's also so great that he's out there, you know, forging a business and, and making a difference, um, helping people feel like they're making more of an impact and take more responsibility for, you know, their emissions and their consumption. Yeah. Um, I, I'd also like to just maybe stress that, Um, It is somewhat of a conspiracy, but um, this tendency for uh, when we talk about climate and your environmental impact and things is to to, to make it feel like you're the problem and kind of internalize all the issues that are going on in the world and, and see that you're a contributor to it. That's like a great first step, but it's important to not let that um, like overwhelm you. Don't let it seem so big that you can't make a change. And also, it's not entirely your responsibility. So yes, we're all personally a little bit responsible, but we're not completely responsible. There are like large corporations that uh, make huge environmental impact that kind of make your impact so minuscule. So there's change needed at every level. Um, So if any little thing you can do, if it's mindless. Uh, relatively mindless like putting a dishwasher on at 12 instead of 10 um that's fantastic and i think it's great that adam's making it an easy thing to do not he's not making it such this this huge challenge
2: yeah um which is i think is a great thing sure yeah i mean that was kind of the next point that i was kind of like right gonna get into was the utility of energy and i primarily think of it like that um and and the, the point was brought up you know about how you want your lights to turn on or you want your dishes washed yeah. at the same time. Uh, and, and I guess this also kind of comes back to the thought of what Red Grid's doing is for there to be like a genuine impact, it requires a, a hell of a lot of people to think more about energy rather than just mm-hmm. a, as a utility, but more of something that does actually impact other things. And that power of dissociation mm-hmm. right now is, is, is yeah, exactly when you use that puddle metaphor as well. I enjoyed that one. Yeah, yeah. But you can't really see it. And so I think that's probably one thing where I'm just like, how can we convince so many people to give a shit basically? Yeah, I mean, spot on. But
0: I think a big problem is like you you can make people realize that there's a huge problem out there and uh, how big it is, you know, obviously there's different camps. But if you can make it something simple, Uh, that can make a difference for you to your back pocket and help the environment at the same time. I mean, that sounds like an easy win to me.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I guess it is an opt-in situation as well. It's not, you know, government. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You got to do it all. Yeah. Um, Um, It's also fascinating. You made the point about um, it
0: being a utility uh, or is it a resource? Do we have a right to energy or is energy a benefit? Of uh, like an, a positive externality of the world we live in, the modern world has electricity. Yeah, for sure. Do we are we born with the a human right to it, or is it you know a resource? Uh, it's strange because water is in the same camp, I suppose, at this point.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, it probably just comes back to money, right? <laughs> Maybe, but I mean, just think about it. Like you're born today. Yeah, you
0: have a right to have enough water, enough food. Like you, you should. The fact that you're here, you we're not going to leave you stranded and hoard all the food you know yeah for sure uh we're going to share the resources with you because we're all on this ship
2: it is a a super valid point that you bring up as to energy being a resource yeah but i mean just the technological age of the world right now you would more think of it as a utility i mean we've found enough alternatives whether that i mean started in fossil fuels or whatever and is moving to towards uh, renewables and biofuels or any other way that you can mm. make your energy but i think there's always going to be alternatives out there to make energy i don't think that we could ever run out of it and so that's why i would put it in the utility sort of thing so you can expect it as long as you can pay for it interesting okay um i, I was talking to my neighbor uh last
0: night uh he we were just out the front uh he's a f- interesting guy um and we were talking about energy again uh it's following me everywhere i okay. go <laughs> but um uh, he he was saying that he watched this TED talk about this lady who gave a thought experiment about energy. And what she did was she looked at all the different sources of energy that we have access to on planet Earth and also in the solar system and then in the broader solar systems. And so she put a a timeline of how long each energy source would provide us with energy right, right? until it ran out. And, and she also used a growth rate of 5%. So you assume the population mm-hmm. and the economy... The energy intensiveness of all our product actions and activity goes up 5% a year, which is roughly accurate uh, over the long run. Um, We would run out of coal within 50 years. We'd run out of uh, oil in a similar time. We'd run out of nuclear in 100. We would run out of. um, So she did this thought experiment of running through how much energy do we actually have in time using our current growth rates and things, which is fascinating. Yeah, uh, It's an interesting thought experiment. And you realize that actually, no, this is quite all limited and there's an end game that we're work- working towards. If we continue to grow, that is.
2: Yeah. But perhaps there's also other alternatives that we haven't found yet that we'll stumble across. Of course, yeah. Of course. Coming across wind, solar and uh, hydro, I guess, I don't know, 50 years ago, people didn't really think that that could be a, a legitimate uh, energy source for societies. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's just true. Yeah, I don't know, but it's it's more like um, getting to the the kernel of it is that um, we 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 are on a scarce planet with scarce resources, and even if we move outside of the planet, the resources remain scarce. Um, so this idea that energy is limitless is perhaps limitless for what population and limitless for what level of activity.
2: Yeah, huh? that's a fair point. Yeah. Um, I guess it's changing the way every generation has uh, lived their life before us. Yeah, yeah. Not just thinking about them or their sons or their daughters or their mm. grandchildren, whoever they may be, but rather great, 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 great children. Yeah, progeny more broadly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <it> was a, <laughs> i was just wondering if you could uh elaborate a little bit more on accelerators but more specifically yes. the accelerator um for entrepreneurs and and just mm. explain a little bit as to what they are yeah well it sounds like when i was sitting there listening to it i
0: was imagining a coke bottle um, with a mentos in it if you shake <laughs> up a coke bottle and you open it of course, it's going to explode Um, all the gas kind of gets pent up and we've all had that even if we didn't want that to happen the The foamy dragon (laughs) exactly so i guess there are different levels of accelerators by the sounds of it and the most basic ones will just shake you up a bit and you'll get a little bit of like if you've got a if you've got an idea you've got a coke bottle you've got you know a bit of sauce a bit of secret ingredient going on and you go and meet these people and kind of workshop some ideas and you shake the bottle up a little bit you open it up there's a little bit of fizz and a little bit more activity and things move a bit quicker and then you go to this full end, like a, towards the end of the scale, where it's, you know, people are investing in you, they're putting money into you and your idea. And you, you build a network of people around you that will make this business a reality, um, or at least have a fair crack at it. So it's, I guess, the idea is is to then add a, a Mentos to the fizz, shake it up, open it up, and just, and, away you uh, go. and explode and enter the scene. Yeah. that That's kind of what I had in my mind. You're but. Right. Yeah, the king of analogies, yeah. man. I love it. Uh, well, I feel like uh, there's a fantastic video. Um, I don't know who did it. it might might be Nerdwriter. He did a breakdown on Donald Trump and why Donald Trump was so effective at communicating and capturing the the like the like minds of, of so many people who listen to him. It's because when he spoke, he would use very targeted language that would make you see Um, something in your mind that he was talking about so he'd huge big big uh like words like that would make you visualize certain things onomatopoeia sort of situation yeah so you could you could really grab and understand what he's on about whether he was effective all around those other words um sometimes a bit disjointed obviously um but yeah when i use metaphors i try and make you see something yeah um and then you can kind of translate that
2: back yeah all right, there, you go. <laughs> a little yeah, lesson is. from Brady for everyone. There you go. I found the study on dancing absolutely fascinating. How good! But I was very I know, pleased to hear in the results that uh, of the of the thesis that Adam did that it doesn't really matter for boys how good their dancing is because oh, I'm telling you now I'm horrible, Brady. Absolutely horrible. The thing about that though, you're powerless according to his theory. Like as a man, you just you you. You are what you are. Yeah. There's no upward mobility. Yeah, that's true. It is yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Can't do much it yeah. if you're uh, if you're stuck like a bean pole on the dance floor like me. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen Pulp Fiction? I have seen Pulp Fiction. Yeah.
0: You know uh when they're on the D floor yeah. at um yeah, John Travolta and Uma Thurman. Mm-hmm. Fantastic iconic scene. Oh yeah. It's um, the uh, twist downward. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Martin and Lewis. <laughs> um, that's the milkshake shoulder. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh, <Brady.
2: laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a really interesting episode. We covered entrepreneurship, we covered energy, we covered a little bit about, you know, how Adam's life intertwined and it kind of I don't I don't know whether he'd considered it at that kind of level of okay, I did this, I did that, and now here I am doing this and that. Yeah, it's weird how his life was in two kind of channels that kind of crossed over. I think
2: another thing that he brought up, Mm. which was common throughout everything, was meeting people, networking in communities and just the power that that has in him being able to create something that's impactful from the point of view that when he's trying to build it, he has a network and a community around him helping him to do that. What he's trying to impact is a community Mm -hmm. and the people around him. And I guess it's kind of a, a mentality about bettering all, not just one. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting
0: that um, the importance of people and and um, it's, it's great to have an idea, but if there's no one else with you or there's no one else that you can help with it, it's kind of what is it all for? That's a good question. Mm. It's a very good question. Anyways, awesome. Well, um, so another great episode, Tom.
2: That's episode nine. Happy days. Yeah. Double digits soon. Oh, I'll be writing home about that. Um, yeah, it'd be nice to get there. Yeah, it will be.
0: Uh, and then... Triple digits is far away. <laughs> yeah, the big 100. Yeah. Uh, yeah, one day we'll get there. Think about that in a couple of years. Yeah, or not even, who knows. So... In the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be interviewing another guest um, about about energy again. Hopefully, I'll get one in before that. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, we do get get a bit of a break from all this energy talk. Um, We love it, though. Yeah, we do. We do, secretly. Um, I mean, we love coffee, Tom, and that's just energy in a bean, isn't it? Yep. Bang. Got it. (laughs) Love that. There's your analogy coming back again. Yeah, got you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it will be interesting to see what the next couple of weeks look like. So keep, keep stay tuned, um, and also keep checking out that cordial concentrate episodes. Tom is doing wonders keeping that under fifteen minutes. So um, they're great for little drives to work.
2: Tell you what, Brady, the content we come up with—it's tough stuff to fit it all in fifteen minutes. I bet, mate. You just can't keep us uh, can't keep us quiet, can you? No, no, you won't. You won't <laughs> shut us up. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, mate excellent all right we'll talk soon sounds gravy have a good one man
0: thank you for listening to this episode of cordial we will be back next time with a brand new guest to mix and contemplate more cordial conversations about the world the people in it and their work if you happen to be enjoying our and tones listen to more cordial conversations on all major platforms like spotify and apple podcasts if you still can't get enough of us check out our website and instagram Both are at cordial.live. The links will be in the description.